0: This morning we're beginning a new series of lessons that I've simply entitled Amazing Grace. And our theme Scripture verse for this entire series is Isaiah 30 and verse 18. In fact, let's read this out loud together. Would you read this with me? The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Now, the Living Bible paraphrases it this way. The Lord desires for you to come to Him so He can show you His grace. So the Bible tells us that God is a gracious God. That He longs to extend His amazing grace to us. Now what exactly is grace? How can we define it? In his now classic book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey writes these words, As a writer, I play with words all day long. I toy with them. Listen for their overtones, crack them open, try to stuff my thoughts inside. I found that words tend to spoil over the years, like old meat. Their meaning kind of rots away. Consider the word charity, for instance. When King James translators contemplated the highest form of love, they settled on the word charity to convey it. Nowadays, we hear the scornful protest, I don't want your charity. Perhaps I keep circling back to grace because it is the one grand theological word that has not spoiled. I call it the last best word because every English usage I can find retains some of the glory of the original. Like a vast aquifer, the word underlies our proud civilization reminding us that good things come not often from our own efforts, rather by the grace of God. Even now, despite our secular drift, taproots still stretch toward grace. Listen to how we use the word. Many people say grace before meals, acknowledging daily bread as a gift from God. We are grateful for someone's kindness, gratified by good news, congratulated when successful, gracious in hosting. Friends, when a person's service pleases us, we leave a gratuity. In each of these uses, I hear a pang of childlike delight in the undeserved. A composer of music may add grace notes to the score. Though not essential to the melody, they are gratuitous. These notes add a flourish whose presence would be missed. When I first attempt a piano sonata by Beethoven or Schubert, I play it through a few times without the grace notes. The sonata carries along, but oh, what a difference it makes when I'm able to add in the grace notes, which season the piece like savory spices. In England, Some uses hint loudly at the word's theological source. British subjects address royalty as your grace. Students at Oxford and Cambridge may receive a grace, exempting them from certain academic requirements. Parliament declares an act of grace to pardon a criminal. New York publishers also suggest the theological meaning with their policy of gracing. If I sign up for 12 issues of a magazine, I may receive a few extra copies even after my subscription has expired. These are grace issues sent free of charge or gratis to tempt me to resubscribe. Credit cards, rental car agencies, mortgage companies likewise extend to customers an undeserved grace period. I also learn a lot about a word by its opposite. Newspapers speak of communism's fall from grace, a phrase similarly applied to Jimmy Swaggart, Richard Nixon, O.J. Simpson, and so on. We insult a person by pointing out the dearth of grace. You ingrate, we say, or worse, you're a disgrace. A truly despicable person has no saving grace about him. My favorite use of the word Root word grace occurs in the mellifluous phrase persona non grata. A person who offends the U.S. government by some act of treachery is officially proclaimed a person without grace. The many uses of the word in English convince me that grace is indeed amazing. Truly, our last best word interesting how many different ways we would use the word grace as it's translated and used in our world today. So what exactly then is grace? How can we define it? Well, obviously it's a multifaceted word. Some of the popular definitions that I've heard over the years in church include things like God's unmerited favor, or God giving me what I need, not what I Deserve Or using the acrostic grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Someone put it this way, grace is the face that God wears when He looks at my failures. Now actually, the Greek word grace, charis, that's used in the New Testament, carries with it the thought of someone or something that brings pleasure. Delight or joy. Some synonyms include favor, goodwill, loving kindness, or benevolence. I think it's also important that we understand that there's a difference, slight as it may be, between mercy and grace. On the one hand, mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. We deserve, you see, His punishment, His wrath, His discipline, even His damnation. And when God doesn't give us what we deserve, that is an expression of His mercy to us. And yet on the other hand, grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve pardon. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve Redemption. We don't deserve the blessings we receive every day in our lives. And yet, in spite of the fact that we are undeserving, God graces us every day. Now, as important as grace is to Christianity, you would think the church would be the one place on this earth where we would find grace exemplified. Sadly, that's often not true. Renowned counselor and author David Siemens wrote in Christianity Today magazine, "...Many years ago I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these, the failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness and the failure to give out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness to others." We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace... But that's not the way we live. Now unfortunately, when it's suggested to someone in the world that they ought to turn to the church for help, oftentimes the response goes something like this, church? (laughs) Why would I want to turn to the church? I already feel terrible about myself. Those Christians would only make me feel worse. Ouch. Amazing grace. My goal over the next couple of months is that we will discover, or perhaps the better word is rediscover, God's amazing grace. And that we'll learn to live out and to give out God's amazing grace each and every day of our lives. And so in that light, in the weeks to come, we're going to study sustaining grace. How God gives us the power to keep on persevering even when we want to quit. And restoring grace. How God accepts us when we wander away. He is the Father patiently waiting for the prodigal to come home. Healing grace, how God works His miraculous touch in our broken and battered lives. Accepting grace, how God accepts and expects us to accept others with that same attitude of grace in which He accepts us. And serving grace, how God dispenses His grace through us to the lives of others and the maturing grace, how God helps us to become everything that He has created us to be. But this morning, I want to start at the very beginning, to lay the foundation for the rest of this series by taking a closer look at saving grace. Any discussion of grace, I think, must begin right here with this. So follow along in your Bible as I read Ephesians chapter 2. We'll pick it up with verse 4. Yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Amazing grace. Today, as we consider saving grace, let's build our thoughts around this acrostic G-R-A-C-E, grace. First, God's grace is gifted from God to me. God's saving grace is gifted from God to me. Once again, look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Look at it with me in your Bible. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Notice those words, it is the gift of God. Notice how Paul put it Romans 3 and verse 24. All of us need to be made right with God by His grace, which is a free gift. Now I would venture to say that most people do not understand that God's grace is a free gift. Why do I say that? How do I know that's true? By observation. Ask the average person walking down the sidewalk in downtown Springville, do you know that you're going to heaven? And the person will say, yeah, I think I am. And then you ask them why they believe that, and they will say, well, I'm a pretty good person. And they betray their misunderstanding of saving grace because they think that they'll get to heaven because of their own goodness. Now, ask that same question of the average person sitting in church on Sunday morning. Do you know you're going to heaven? And they will reply, yes, I think I am. And so you probe a bit further. Why do you believe that? And they may reply, well, it's because of God's saving grace. Huh. Right answer, but here's the tricky part. They may say it with their lips, but they're showing something entirely different with their life. They may know all of the right words. I'm saved by grace. It's God's free gift to me. But when you take a closer look at their lives, they betray that they do not understand God's saving grace at all. In fact, it's obvious that they are on what I call the performance treadmill. (laughs) And they are striving to earn and to merit God's favor by their religious duties and activities. You can just see it in their lives. But you see, God's grace is gifted to me. I cannot earn it. I cannot buy it. I cannot work for it. By the way, that's one of the fundamental differences between Christianity and every other world religion. Every other religion is based on works and can be summarized with one word do. <laughs> Do this, do that, obey this rule, follow this regulation, perform this ritual. Do, 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 do. It's all about do. But Christianity, on the other hand, is based on grace and may be summarized with one word, and that is done. It's done. On the cross, right as Jesus died, he said, It is finished. He didn't say, It is almost finished. He didn't say it's partially finished. Now it's up to you to do the rest. No! It is finished. It is done. There is no more that can be done. It is all a done deal. And it is God's free gift to us. So first, God's grace is gifted from God to me. Second, God's grace is represented in Christ for me. God's grace is represented in Christ for me. Look again at Ephesians 2 and verse 7 there in your Bible. In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Don't miss those words. In Christ Jesus. The Apostle John wrote in John 1 and verse 17, the law was given through Moses, grace came through Jesus Christ. Now why in and through Jesus Christ? Why not in and through Buddha? Or Muhammad? Or someone else? Because the answer is very simple. Jesus Christ alone paid the price for our admission to heaven. Nobody else has done that. Nobody else could do that. On the cross in our place, Jesus paid the price for our sins. You see, grace may be free, but it is not cheap. It cost Jesus His life. And there is no other way to be saved. Christ is the one and the only ticket to heaven. In Jesus' own words, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what does it mean to be in Christ? How does that work? Well, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Let this index card represent my life. And let the Bible represent Jesus Christ. Now my life's a mess. (laughs) I've messed it up. Just like you have messed your life up. I'm full of imperfections. So how come when God looks at me, He doesn't see all this junk? Because, watch this, I am in... Christ. When God looks at me, all He sees is Jesus. I am covered by His blood and by His righteousness. And so when God looks at me, He sees me as holy because I am in Christ. See, the bottom line is that amazing grace is a hymn. H-I-M. Not just a hymn. H-Y-M-N. That is so important for us to get. Amazing grace is a hymn. It's Him. It's Jesus. He is amazing grace. It's all about Him. So second, God's saving grace. Grace is represented in Christ for me. Third, God's saving grace is accessed through faith by me. God's saving grace is accessed through faith by me. Once again, Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Don't miss that. Through faith. Read Romans 5, verses 1 and 2 out loud with me. Let's read this together. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Don't miss that. Access by faith into grace. What does that mean? That we are saved Through faith, that we have access by faith into grace. Simply put, God's saving grace is totally and completely a free gift to us based upon Jesus' payment of death for us on the cross. However, This saving grace is not personally accessed or appropriated by me as an individual until I choose to personally respond by placing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. Let me illustrate it this way. One of the books that I'm using to help me kind of do a little research for this series is written by a man that I have met and really appreciate. His name is Kyle Eidelman. And the book is called Grace is Greater. I happen to have two copies of this. And so I thought, well, I'm going to give away a gift this morning. How many of you believe that I'm going to give this book away to somebody? Anybody? Does anybody believe that I'm going to give this book away? <laughs> He beat you, Luann. (laughs) We know that Chuck believes that. Why? Because he took it. He received it unto himself. Does that make sense? See, God's saving grace is the same way. It's a free gift. So why isn't everybody saved? Because not everybody has come to receive the gift. Romans 4 verse 16 sums it up. People receive God's promise by having faith. This happens so that the promise can be a free gift. So third, God's saving grace is accessed through faith by me. Fourth, God's saving grace is clouded by opinions around me. I wish this weren't true, but it is true. God's grace is clouded by opinions around me. Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Evidently, some people... Where am I? Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion (laughs) and are trying to pervert The gospel of Christ. That was perfect timing for that one. In other words, the good news of salvation, God's pure and simple saving grace, can be so easily misunderstood and misapplied. That's not something new. Paul dealt with it, we have to understand, clear back in the first century. Now, in what ways is God's saving grace misconstrued. I put together a chart for you in your lesson notes. You want to get that out right now? In which I have placed what I think are the three most common untruths about God's saving grace alongside the truth about God's saving grace. Hopefully this will help to clear up some of the clouded opinions that are out there about So I want you just to kind of look at this chart, just kind of keep this in front of you over the next few minutes, and let's look at it together. The first untruth is what I call the self-serving hedonist. This person is described for us in the verse 4 of the book of Jude. In fact, let's read it out loud together. Would you read this with me? For some godless people have slipped in unnoticed among us persons who distort the message about the grace of our God in order to excuse their immoral ways. Don't miss that. In order to excuse their immoral ways. This is the person who thinks that grace gives him or her the license to sin. It's the person that Paul addressed in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we sin because we are under grace? By no means, Paul says. But you see the self-serving hedonist twists saving grace to mean, well, if we're saved by grace, then our character and our behavior doesn't really matter. After all our salvation's a free gift. It's by God's grace, so we can do whatever we please with our lies, because it has nothing to do with our salvation anyway. Now notice some of the things I've listed in the chart about this untruth. Go down that column. The strategy is to indulge myself. Self analysis, I may be bad, but so what? <clears throat> Theology Just disregard God altogether. doesn't matter. Salvation is a free gift by grace. Bumper sticker, life's short, so play hard. (laughs) Complain is I can't play enough. View of sin is no one is guilty, especially me. Work ethic, what I do is my business, so leave me alone. Favorite phrase, live it up. The self-serving hedonist. The second untruth is what I call the fault-finding judgmentalist. The fault-finding judgmentalist. This person is characterized by the Pharisee in Luke 18, verses 11 and 12. Oh God, I thank You that I'm not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid like this tax man. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my income. Look at me. You see, the fault-finding judgmentalist twist saving grace by reasoning that as long as he or she is better than most people, then that's what counts. It's almost as though God grades on a curve, and as long as you're on the right side of the bell curve, you're going to make it okay. <laughs> Notice how I've described this false concept of grace in the chart. The strategies to compare myself always with somebody else. Self analysis. I may be bad, but I'm better than, and I've got a whole list of people that I'm better than. Theologies to distract God. God, don't look at me. Look at them. Look how bad they are. Bumper sticker. God is watching you, and so am I. Complaint. I can't see enough. You have sinned. You're guilty, not me. Work ethic. What you do is my business. I'm watching. Favorite phrases. Straighten up. Get your act together, would you? Then there's the third untruth, which I call the hardworking legalist. The hardworking legalist, in his exasperation, look at what Paul wrote in Galatians 4, verses 9 and 10. Again, let's read this one out loud together. Would you read it with me? How can it be that you want to become slaves once more to another poor, weak, useless religion of trying to get to heaven by obeying God's laws? You are trying to find favor with God by what you do or don't do. A lot of people like that, folks. Basically, the hardworking legalist twists saving grace by arguing, nothing's free. We all know that nothing in life is really free. Come on. Everything has a catch to it. There's always fine print if it says it's free. Everybody knows that. And so earning God's favor must be dependent upon God's grace plus something. I've heard this error taught from the pulpit by people who would want you to believe and actually would define grace as the difference between where you are and where you need to be as being perfect. And some of us are a little farther along than others, and so we need a little more of God's grace. Can I just say to you, that is so wrong. To say that God's grace makes up the difference between where we are spiritually and perfection is to say that we have something to do with our salvation. And that is so far from the truth. God's grace always starts at ground zero. We are absolutely nothing. We are worthless. Our righteousness amounts to zero, not a zilch. And God's grace is fully 100% of it all. And don't miss this, because so many Christians have. Notice the description of this popular error in the chart that I've given you there. The strategy is save myself. Self-analysis, I may be bad, but if I work a little harder, theology is to reimburse God. I've got to somehow pay God back. Bumper sticker, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Complaint I can't work enough. I don't know if I am working enough. I don't think I've done enough. View of sin is I'm always guilty. I never have any assurance of my salvation. Work ethic, what God demands is my business. i got to get it done. Favorite phrase is get to work. Would you just stop standing there? Get to work! Now compare all of these confused and clouded opinions about biblical truth with the biblical truth about saving grace. I put the fourth column in your chart there in your notes. I call it the grace-receiving Christian. Acts 15 verse 11 sums it up. It says, We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we are saved. Period. End of sentence. You see, the grace-receiving Christian just accepts God's free gift of saving grace in Christ. And that's it. Nothing more. Don't add to it. Don't try to qualify it. But, no, 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 no no buts. Well, if, no, no, no ifs. Well, and, no, no ands. Simple, Pure. And notice how the list of this person who embraces true grace differs from the first three. The strategy is I entrust myself to Christ. Self-analysis, I may be bad, but I am forgiven. Theology, to seek God. Always, I want more of God. Bumper sticker, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. Complaint, I can't thank God enough. View of sin, I was, past tense, guilty. (laughs) Guilty. Work ethic, what God does is my business and I want to be right in step with Him. And the favorite phrase is thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, you, God. I cannot thank you enough for your saving grace. Thank you. I hope you'll study this chart a little more on your own. I think it's full of some good stuff. And I wish we could take more time, but we need to move on. Fourth, God's saving grace is clouded by opinions around me, but let's finish this up. Fifth, God's saving grace is extended to everyone, including me. God's saving grace is extended to everyone, including me. Look at Titus 2 and verse 11. It says, The grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to some people. Oh, I read that wrong? Oh, let's try that again. Let's read that out loud together. Would you read it with me? The grace of God has been revealed bringing salvation to all people. Don't miss that. All, that all includes you. Romans 10 verse 13 says, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Simply put, God's free gift of saving grace is available to anybody and everybody who through personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ decides to receive it. If you don't remember anything else that I have said today, please remember this. God's amazing grace is for you. God's amazing grace is for you. So finally, God's saving grace is extended to everyone, including me. Amazing grace. This morning, we've laid the foundation for this new series of lessons by taking a closer look at what the Bible says about saving grace. And we've built our thoughts around this acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, God's saving grace is gifted by God to me, represented in Christ for me, accessed through faith by me, clouded by opinions around me, and extended to everyone, including me. Let's pray. God, thank you for your amazing grace. But for your grace, we would not be saved. But for your grace, we would go our own lost ways. I'm forever grateful. That you have been faithful to me, Lord, for your amazing grace. Open our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts to receive your truth even now. However it may apply to our individual lives this morning, may it be so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.